When he sent me packing down Green River Valley Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse, armed only with food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. How you doing? Um, Get in touch. Um, I love hearing from people who email... uh, milehighstash at gmail.com and uh, one of my favorite things about doing this is interviewing people who do stuff I know nothing about like comedy visual art or today producing Broadway shows of all things (laughs) Vivek Tawari is an amazing New York City native who grew up seeing punk rock at uh, CBGB's. Um, this guy saw the Ramones at CBGB's. Vivek, and um, I'm glad that I asked him how to say his name instead of just butchering it. Anyway, <laughs> Vivek went from weirdo Indian kid from the Lower East Side, as he says, to the Wharton School of Business, uh, and and then producer and writer of, of Broadway shows, winning Tonys and even a Grammy for work with. Alanis Morissette, Green Day, and others. Um, you know you've heard of the Jagged Little Pill and American Idiot Broadway shows. Um, they were huge, and that was um, in large part the work of Vivek. Um, there is a show called um, Heart of Grace coming up at the Roots Music Project in Boulder on Friday, March 24th and it's written by a guy named Doug Vincent and Vivek Tawari is consulting producer on Heart of Grace and Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops will be providing the musical element of this version of Heart of Grace playing snippets and also instrumental versions of Gasoline Lollipop songs and some new songs the band hasn't recorded yet. Um, Doug Vincent has worked with musicians from the Bodines and Cowboy Junkies on previous versions of Heart of Grace. And this version is Doug's collaboration with Clay Rose, who, of course, gave me the green light to use Gasoline Lollipop songs um, I played drums on to use as the Mile High Stash theme music. Um, it was great talking with Vivek and again to know more about him and about Heart of Grace, which is a, a, a very deep and personal story about family and loss. Uh, Vivek says that um, Heart of Grace is for anybody who's ever cared about a loved one. So hopefully that means everyone listening, unless you're, I don't know, Voldemort or Donald Trump. Actually, it was nice to talk with a, a Wharton graduate who's not Donald Trump. Um, I hope you'll enjoy my chat with Vivek and check out Heart of Grace if you're in the Boulder area, Friday, March 24th. By the way, Mile High Stash is grateful for the support of 105.5 The Colorado Sound, the best radio station in the Rocky Mountains. And um, it really can be heard from the streets of Denver and Boulder and Fort Collins all the way up to peak-to-peak highway and all over the place and and online at coloradosound.org 
as well. Um, their DJs play pretty much everything they want, and it's always good. From n new music to... Actually, the other morning I heard Ned's Atomic Dustbin on the Colorado Sound, and it really took me back to the sixth grade in a good way, surprisingly. Uh, um, along with appreciating the Colorado Sound, we also appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts and even your donations, which can be made at milehighstash.com, um, or you can Venmo me anytime, Adam Ice 9 on Venmo. Every little bit of support helps. Here's my chat with producer and writer and punk rocker Vivek Tawari. Hello. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Oh, not bad. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. How do you say your name? Vivek? Thank you for asking. It's Vivek, actually. Vivek, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, uh, my friends say you can bake a Vivek cake. Vivek. So, yeah. Rhymes with bacon cake. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for last asking. <laughs> Tawari. That one's more like how it looks. Vivek <laughs> Tawari. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you born? I was actually born in New York. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at, yeah, but my family, the family's originally from India. Yeah. So, yeah, my parents were immigrants, uh, but I was born in the city. Yeah. So how are you old enough that you would have seen the Ramones at CBGB's? You, you don't look old enough. I, I did see the Ramones at CBGB's, although I will admit it was like one of those like special return to CB's kind of concerts. Um, I was born in I was born in 1973. So, yeah, yeah I barely, barely squeaked in to see them. But uh, it, that's why I'm so proud of it. You know? Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, for for calling that out. Um <laughs> Yeah, I grew up. Uh, I grew up going to CBS. My my parents, uh, they loved the arts, and they were constantly taking me uptown to see Broadway and ballet and opera and all that sort of thing. But as soon as I was allowed out of the house on my own, I was going downtown to hardcore matinees and yeah, the old Ritz and the Danceteria and yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what neighborhood did you grow up in? So I was basically the outskirts of the Lower East Side. I grew up on Twelfth and Fourth. Yeah. So it wasn't kind of like the roughest parts of the Lower East Side, but it was yeah. lower. It was Lower East Side. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. You know, you can go to the spot where CBGB's was and there's a clothing store there, you know, but on so a map weird. you can see, oh, this is this is heaven right here. This is what was here. Yeah. I still I work on 15th and Irving, not terribly far from there, probably like a 20 minute walk. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you end up at, you know, going from a kid with green hair who's into, <laughs> you know, um, fear and and bad brains or whatever, I'm assuming. Yeah, right how, on. How do you end up at the Wharton School? You know, it's funny. So I definitely... Um, you know, I did have, a, you know, half my head was was shaved and the other half was yay long and green. And I was listening to all those kind of bands, um, but I was a good student, you know, yeah. like, you know, I was uh, I was kind of a, uh, a mixed bag in that way. I, I looked like a like a degenerate in some people's eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the truth was, I was one of the top students in the school. Yeah. And I was, you know, to be honest, I was a pretty good kid, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I, I was, you know, got up to some 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 simple trouble like all teenagers do. But uh, looking back on it, like I didn't give my parents too hard a time. Right. And uh, and I, you know, I got good grades and um, 
uh, the, the honest truth is I didn't know what I was doing when I was applying to college. Mm -hmm. I just kind of did what my family wanted me to do. I applied to Ivy's and I applied to Wharton. Yeah. And my grandfather, who was a huge influence on my life, was sort of a serial entrepreneur, started a lot of his companies that that don't do anything in entertainment, which mm -hmm. is why I didn't end up joining the family businesses, any of the family businesses. But, um, you know, it was through his influence that I thought, oh, I should apply to a business school. Yeah. And uh, he was so proud that I got in. You know, he was um, his father. He was an immigrant as well. His, his father moved from India to Guyana when both were British colonies. Um, he was an indentured servant. My grandfather was literally born on a slave plantation. Wow. So he came from nothing and to like, you know, to see, and he became a very successful businessman. And so for him to see his grandson um, attending, you know, getting into the Wharton school, it was a big deal for him. And as I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of like doing what my, you know, as much as I was a rebel in some ways, I was also kind of like, a good kid doing what his family told him in other ways. Mm -hmm. um, and the family suggested I go to Wharton. So that's yeah. where I wound up, you know. <laughs> I'm constantly telling my kid, um, on one hand, she's getting into all of the stuff that I was not allowed to be into at that age because I was raised in a Catholic family, Catholic family. And so I dyed my hair purple and listened right to, <laughs> you know, the, um, the Beastie Boys and um, I remember being seven years old and when Guns N' Roses came out in, in 87, that was like dangerous, you know, oh, so all yeah. this stuff. Uh, it's a big so, record so, for me too. Yeah. yeah. I'm almost like pushing on her all the stuff that I was told not to do. And so I am constantly saying you can dress whoever, whoever you want. You can have your makeup however you want, as long as you're doing good in school. And I think that's a good lesson. And yeah. I, when you were talking, I also wondered if you've seen Fleas induction speech of metallica into the rock and roll i did not i did not he I was should saying, look that i should look that one was, up it's fantastic he was saying that heavy music is the most freeing liberating healthy expression of love that there is in the world and so the fact that you had this outlet maybe meant yeah. you weren't doing bad things yeah no that's a really really excellent point i'm gonna look that up I'm a big, big fan of both. So, yeah. uh, so I should see that one. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what of punk rock did you take to Broadway and what of studying at the Wharton school of business did you take <laughs> to Broadway? Yeah. Listen, I mean, it's funny. I, you know, as I said, I thought I was just kind of doing what my parents told me, uh, mm. or my, you know, my family, my parents, my grandparents to, to when I went to Wharton and it wound up being like one of the smartest things I, I ever did. I'm very grateful mm. for it. Uh, you know, I ended up doing a dual degree. So I went both to Wharton and to the University of Pennsylvania School mm. of Arts and Sciences. Um, in At UPenn, I majored in English with a creative writing concentration. Mm. Um, I was told at the time that I was the first Wharton slash creative writing major <laughs> right. in Penn history, which is kind Donald of a, Trump uh, was doing that. you know, <laughs> Donald Trump was, it's, you know, it's really funny I and mean, we should, let's not go off on a tangent, but the, uh, the Wharton school. They conspicuously do not uh, trot out the Trumps in their they're very good about trotting out their alumni and yeah. getting their alumni to support and help. And and, uh, you know, strangely enough, you don't hear them talking too much about about yeah. some of about one of their most famous alumni. Right. Right. But let's let's not that's for another conversation. <laughs> um, let's just assume that when Trump was there, he didn't have 
a dual major in creative <laughs> no, writing. No, I, I yeah. don't think yeah. that he did. <laughs> I do not think that he did. Um, and, you know, I remember thinking at the time that I was proud of that, but it but it seemed um, sort of both odd and uh, unfortunate. You know, I think that people who are in the creative arts, it would really behoove them to understand business in mm -hmm. a really formal way. And certainly people who are in business can benefit from a, having a creative brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, it was kind of a natural thing. And I wound up going into the music industry. Uh, while I was at Wharton, I got a job working for Sony Music. And after I graduated, I moved back home to New York and I was working at Mercury Records. Uh, so I, that was my background prior to starting my own company. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I started my own company as an entrepreneur in the music industry, I can honestly say I use both my Wharton background and my creative liberal arts background yeah. literally every day of my life. Um, and I'm and in a in a really sort of pure way, you know, I could say that like the degrees, the the letters of the, you know, the that are attached to my degree, like those haven't really done anything for me in terms of like like I didn't get any doors open because I was a Wharton grad. Mm -hmm. But like in the purest form of the education I got, which is supposed to be the reason one goes to college, right, right. I use that education daily. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I really do, uh, when I, when I tell, when I talk to kids, I really do encourage them, like get an education. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue your crazy dreams if they're crazy, mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, apply your knowledge, what you not, what you learn in formal education to that, whatever that crazy dream is, you know? Yeah. Um, and then how, did you go from, you know, working in the recording industry um, on the business side to writing for a living? Uh, well, you know, I, I am more of a, to be fair, I'm more of a producer than a writer. I do okay. write as well. And I love writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but I spend, I would say, the the lion's share of my time as a producer. I'm very proud of the graphic novel I wrote, The Fifth Beetle. And it's wonderful. Life yeah. of Brian Epstein. Thank you. Yeah, super proud of it, and and I do have a couple other writing things in the works. We're Your developing TED talk um, about oh, Brian Epstein's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Ah, oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, man. Um, and we are adapting Fifth Beetle into a TV limited series, and I'll be um, writing uh, the screenplay, the episodes for that. So mm -hmm. I do do quite a bit of writing, but the honest truth is, I'm more of a producer than a writer, and that's. Um, where you see a lot of my business and creative, you know, I'm a creative producer. I enjoy putting yeah. a creative team together and pairing interesting writers with interesting composers, like producing Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. One of the things yeah. I'm super proud about is putting Diablo Cody together with Alanis Morissette. Yeah. It just felt like a really good match to me. Um, but, you know, so, so I guess to me, you know, sort of going back to that dual degree format, it never seemed strange to me mm -hmm. to want to write in addition to doing the business things, you ask like, how does that happen? I was like, it just kind of happened organically. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I discovered the Brian Epstein story, the story of the Beatles manager while I was at Wharton, you know, I was dreaming about working in the entertainment industry. Um, I was a black sheep in that way, you know, being of Indian origin, parents were immigrants, you know, most people, uh, in New York to be blunt thought that I would wind up, you know, working in a deli or driving a taxi cab. You know, and those people who believed in me thought mm -hmm. that I would be a doctor or an engineer, Yeah, you know, working in, in entertainment and producing musicals and writing graphic novels was crazy. Like that wasn't in the cards for me. Mm -hmm. um, and when I discovered the Brian Epstein story and I realized that, the, you know, he was gay and Jewish and from Liverpool, three tremendous obstacles in the early 60s. Um, 
you know, I thought if the gay Jewish kid from Liverpool could bring the world the Beatles, you know, why couldn't this weirdo Indian kid from the Lower East Side work in the entertainment industry, you know, and produce musicals and write graphic novels, mm -hmm. as I said. It was a huge inspiration to me. And so I took that with me. And when I when I started studying his life, it was for 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 inspiration. Like I wasn't writing a term paper. I wasn't planning to write a graphic novel. I just was looking. I was a student at Warden who felt uh, like a black sheep. You know, at the time this was, you know, I, I entered Warden in 1991. So it was a period where, you know, before the Internet boom, so, you know, in business school, they weren't even encouraging their students to go into new media, much mm. less entertainment. It was really traditional finance, accounting, investment yeah. banking, et cetera. So wanting to work in the entertainment industry, I was like, I was definitely the oddball. Now that's changed. Like I, I actually am part of Penn Live Arts and I'm on the, the Wharton Council and I do various things to help uh, with entertain, mm. the entertainment business um, program there. But at the time, there was no real program to speak of when I was there, right? Yeah. So, um, so I was really doing all this research, and I, I I've really become one of the world's leading Brian Epstein experts, you know, in part because also at that time there's no Wikipedia or YouTube or even Google, you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my research was li literally firsthand research, like talking to people who knew him. Yeah. And um, and anyway, this is a long-winded way of saying that, like. When I when I got some success in the industry and I started producing shows and I was able to be able to tell my own stories through my shows, um, I looked around and I realized no one had told the Brian Epstein story. Yeah. And that was the moment where I was like, you know what, if no one has done it yet, then why not me? And yeah. so that's what brought me to decide to do it, you know, um, but it hadn't occurred to me up until that moment. I was sort of hoping somebody else would have done it, mm -hmm. but nobody did. And, and, uh, and then I felt qualified to do it. So I did. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Brian Epstein story and Jagged Little Pill and, you know, the real uh, impetus for our chat, uh, A Heart of Grace, yeah. it's, I think they all have mental health in common. Indeed. And um, I was 14 when Jagged Little Pill came out. And for me, it wasn't that, that big of a deal. I was listening to Fugazi and Screeching Weasel, <laughs> yeah. but... But all the girls <laughs> in, in high school, I think it was a, a really big deal that there was a pop star who was screaming in her songs, it, yeah. like saying, it's okay to say that you're not okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, she's, that record is, is very punk in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of ethos and, and sonically in some ways too. I don't know if you know, but Flea and Dave Navarro play on that record. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, it's got, it's got some, it's got some punk roots in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually saw one of my first really big concerts was uh, I saw Radiohead open for Alanis Oh, Morissette amazing. Yeah. Because <laughs> what a tour. Yeah. Yeah. This is like 1997. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, no, it was earlier than that, actually. Um, um, it would have, but, been, yeah, it would have, would have been a little earlier. Yeah. yeah I think it was because it, it was before OK Computer. Yeah. It was out. the Benz, wasn't it? It was, they were touring the Benz, I think. Yep, I the think the Benz had just come out, mm -hmm. maybe. Right. I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah. the very last song of their set was kind of an embryonic version of, of Paranoid Android. I, I remember Amazing. that really well. <laughs> and the girl that, that I was dating, freaking cool. Yeah. The girl that I was dating was into Alanis and I was into, the Benz and Pablo Honey. <laughs> right and on. It's awesome. The band that Alanis had at, at the time had Taylor Hawkins. Totally. Who, yeah. Who would be in the Foo Fighters in the future. And it was yep. like 
as rock and roll as anything. It wasn't like a Britney Spears concert, you know. Totally. It was, it was rock Chris and Chaney roll. was in that band too. Oh yeah. And he went on to play in Jane's Addiction. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah she always surrounded and still does surrounds herself with amazing musicians. She's, yeah. She's she's amazing. She's very smart and and is a real music head like us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So how has it been working on, um shows that include this uh, mental health aspect i mean it's a, it's to me it's everything you know it, it's what i it's what i've decided to do with my life you know now that i've been in i started my company 24 years ago my company mm. started in 1999 and um you know when looking at where you know when when i started i was really didn't didn't have it all figured out i was really mm. just doing things that i was passionate about and it, you know it was really over the pandemic um, I got COVID at the very beginning, very, very badly. I was oh, wow. in bed for three weeks. I couldn't get out of bed. It took me another three weeks to recover. This was in March, 2020, you know, so wow. it was literally like right then where there were no COVID tests. There was yeah. like, you know, we, I was terrified. I thought I was going to die. Wow. I was worried that I was going to give it to my family. You know, it was, it was, it was a terrifying time in my yeah. life. Um, all of which is to say that it, it got me doing a lot of soul searching, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I really looked at, at, um, you know, I asked myself, three questions i said you know what is it that that you do you know and and i guess mm -hmm. a part of this comes from you know having been in business for myself at the time like just over 20 or you know over two decades you know some friends would say you know what is it you know you do as a producer and i would sort of laugh and be like oh you know, i can't really answer that question and and other people would say you know what sorts of projects should we bring you you know what do you like and i would normally say well we're across the board anything i'm passionate about is you know music is a sweet spot and then i sort of realized like you know, having done being in business for 20 years, like those are bad answers. Like I should be able mm -hmm. to answer the question. Like, yeah. what do you do and what are you looking for? So I asked myself, like, what is it that you've been doing for the past 20 years? What is it that you do? What do you like doing? And what are you good at doing? What are the projects that you've worked on that, that have had success? Um, and I was really happy that the answer to those three questions weren't, weren't a perfect overlap, but they were pretty darn close. And, and basically what I, you know, what I do, and then now that I'm, you know, 20 plus years in, I can see it. And, and, and it really is, it's my dream. It's what I dedicate my life to is, is I work on projects that have a deep musical core and that are, are, and that are narratives with impact is the way I describe it, that are yeah. deeply story driven and that that story has something to say. And, you know, it can be very um, overt and serious, you know, in Jagged Little Pill, um, you know, we deal with a lot of issues, like including sexual assault and opioid addiction. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it it's written by Diablo Cody, who's very funny. So it's not it's not a depressing night at the theater, but right. it does deal with these very serious issues. Um, but as I said, my work doesn't always have to deal with with so overtly with serious issues. But I hope at the end of it, of, of anything that you see that I do, there is some you walk out feeling a little bit happier with the world or wanting to make the world a slightly better place, yeah. you know? And so whenever I can tackle those kind of issues head on, when I ever can deal directly with a mental health issue or a societal pain issue, um, it's a particular source of, of pride. Mm. Um, so you'll, you'll see all of my work have, have those kind of elements to it. And, um, you know, now that I'm a dad, 
I'm looking to do a little bit more child-friendly work. You know, <laughs> most of my, it, most of my, my son is now 14. So it's only been in the past few years that my kids could actually come see the work that I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even the stuff that I'm working on for the future that are, that are, are, you know, on the surface, more family friendly, if you will, they mm. still deal with, with issues that if you look beneath the surface, they're, they're all telling a story that hopefully will have some impact and will will get you thinking and change change hearts. You know, that's that's what I try to do with my work. Yeah, well, it's great that you're not just trying to sell tickets, you know, so. Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to spin doctorate too much. I am a commercial producer. Mm -hmm. I have two kids who, and I live in New York City and, you know, tuition's expensive here yeah. and like, you know, so I do, I, you know, I, I don't want to pretend too much. I do care very deeply about, um, you know, uh, shows that are going to sell tickets. Like if you look at my work, I've worked with Alanis Morissette and Green Day and mm -hmm. I'm doing the Beatles. You know, these are all artists that has have big fan bases. So I I, I don't want to pretend that I don't think about that stuff. Right. But but um, but I really, really, as a commercial producer, do my best to work on shows that both will sell a lot of tickets and yeah. bring a lot of people to the work, but also have those people walk out having had some having ha, having had the story of my work impact them in some way yeah so I, I really do try to do both um you're right not it's not just about selling tickets but it's also not just about the impact <laughs> right because I, I think the two things are connected you know mm -hmm. i mean if you you want a lot of people to see your show you know mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't do any good if like if not that many people get to see it you know yeah. um so so they, they it's all connected i guess the artists that you mentioned you know the beatles and alanis and green day they all have done important work and sold a lot of tickets too. So indeed, it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So I'm and gonna, listen, you know, like yeah. you mentioned, Bad Brains, like they're one of my favorite bands of all time. But you know, it's like I did a Green Day musical. I didn't do a Bad Brains musical. Right. <laughs> Not to say a Bad Brains musical wouldn't have been awesome, but it would come with different challenges. You know. Right. Right. Um. So so I you know it, it's it, it, this to me is kind of the constant struggle with what I do is to like make sure that I'm working on stuff that I'm passionate about. And that that is real and authentic, but that also you know has the ability to draw a lot of people in. Because mm -hmm. as I said, I, I I want to reach a lot of people, and I want to sell tickets. I'm a commercial producer, yeah. so I have I have a lot of uh, and and when the two things connect, there's really nothing more beautiful. Right, right, so, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit about Heart of Grace, but first, yeah, I will ask you the question that every uh, guest gets yes. asked: is if you were stranded in a cabin. In Colorado, in the mountains. Have you ever been to the mountains in Colorado? I have. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, and there was a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um, and you had food and water and a, a crank-powered Victrola. Uh, what five albums would you bring? Yeah. So I would bring uh, Abbey Road by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Never mind the bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Yeah. To quote the full title. <laughs> um, I would bring Ritual Dillo Habitual by Jane's Addiction. Um, I would bring The Delicate Sound of Thunder by Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. Which yeah. is a little bit of a cheat because it's a double album. Oh, that's um, and, okay. And, I mean, <laughs> is that a cheat? Is that okay? Can that count as one? You can bring a box set. That's fine. <laughs> well, that. I was just gonna say, yeah. and if you if you will allow me, um, I would like to bring. I'm being really nerdy. I would bring the 2019 reissue of Delicate Sound of Thunder, which is technically a part of a box set, um, but it has some extra tracks and it sounds better than the original version. Um, 
And then for my fifth record, I would bring Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. And uh, and I would readily admit that probably several days into the apocalypse, I would probably realize that that I miss female voices. Right. Um, right. But nevertheless, those would be the five that I would pick. And then I would would regret it a little bit afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good range of music because you got some jazz that's vibey and improvisational. And then you got some psychedelic music, you know, and then you have probably in my mind, the greatest guitar sound of all time, which is Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols, you know, right on, yeah. Um, and then you have the Beatles, which is kind of all those things that I just described in one album. So in one record, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you you just very you, you, you just did my explanation for me. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of why I picked those five, you know, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with Heart of Grace? Um, you know, it's funny in preparation for this, I was trying to remember like how I first met Doug and, mm -hmm. and I think it's really because the heart of grace has always been, a, um, very much what I do in terms of, you know, the, the model that I just described it, you know, it, it's a music, it, it's a story that's told in large part through music. Mm -hmm. Um, but it isn't a traditional musical and, um, and it deals with narrative and impact. It's a very deep personal story. It's, you know, really Doug's life story and mm. the story of, of the birth of his daughter and coming to terms with his, um, with the, the loss of his dad. And I mean, it deals with a lot of really heavy personal stuff. Um, mm. so it's definitely narrative with impact and, you know, he could have easily done it as a play, but he never has, you know, it's gone through several iterations and it always has music. And I first connected with him when he was working with Sam from the Bodines, but mm. I've then seen him gone to work with the Cowboy Junkies and, um, and then uh, most recently working with um, uh, the guy from uh, Gasoline Lollipop. Clay uh, Rose. Clay, Clay Rose, yep. yeah, exactly. Um, who, uh, and I guess they're doing a show coming up in a couple of weeks um, in yes, Boulder. Yes, in Boulder. At, uh, um, my connection to this is just that I was in a band with Clay for, I was in Gasoline Lollipops with Clay for a oh long time. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Clay and I um, have been friends for 15 years now. And um, we play together a couple of times a month. We have a duo and I'm just too busy to be in a, a band full time because of all the other things I do. But he's been really excited about this. And That's so cool. Um, I have such minimal, if not zero knowledge of how plays or musicals or let alone Broadway works. And so um, how do you how do you hear, you know, this the show is is going on at the at this place in, in Boulder and and they need help from you. Yeah. I mean, so so we connected, um, as I said, way back in a, in an earlier iteration when it was called A Day for Grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he was working with Sam of the Bodines. And, you know, the, the piece had uh, all the elements of, of shows of the types of shows that I love. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't a show that was ready for Broadway, per se. But I had I felt so connected to it. And also as a dad. Um, you know, it was something that I, I deeply connected to the the story of, uh, you know, wanting to do better for the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, that was something I mentioned earlier in this in this uh, chat that, yeah. you know, I, I, I want I care very deeply about wanting to create work for my kids now, now that yeah. I'm at that place in my life. 
And anyway, I just, I, I found the piece so moving. And then I met Doug. And if you spent time with Doug, you know, he's just the, the nicest, most inspiring guy. And I just said, like, even though you're not around the corner and this piece isn't ready to come to Broadway, mm-hmm. like, what can I do to help? Um, because it's, it's sort of is very adjacent to my world. Yeah. And I just said, sign me up to help in any way I can. Um, yeah. and I've, you know, I'll, I'll let, I'll let him tell you whether I've done a good job or not, <laughs> but I've, uh, I've tried to guide him through the, the idea of putting music into shows, but not necessarily in traditional ways. You know, most of the mm-hmm. shows that I've worked on, um, are at, le- at, the, at least at the time they are released were considered very edgy and different and, you know, and so I, I think what kind of what he's doing and using music in a deep way that's narrative, but mm-hmm. that isn't uh, characters breaking out into song in, right, in a traditional right. musical way um, felt very much up my alley. And and I, I hope that I've been useful in, in guiding him as to how you do that, both creatively as well as how you build a business model around it. And and um, I know he has big plans for it. And I, I think I yeah. think it can get to Broadway. You yeah. know, when I, when I first, uh, yeah, anyway, so I'll, I'll stop there, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I've been, that's what I've been doing with, with Doug and, and I'm in for the long haul with him. Any, anything I could do to help both Doug, cause he's such a great guy and this piece, cause it, it's a piece that's important. And, and I think anybody, um, anybody who's ever like cared about a loved one, which is, you know, mm. just about every human being will find something in, in heart of grace. Yeah, um, will associate to one of the characters, and and uh, and that to me is is real magic in in theater, you know. Yeah. So, well, my um my intro and outro music for the podcast are gasoline lollipop songs that I played on. So it would be interesting yeah, if that's awesome. One of those was also in the show, but in we'll the see. Piece, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk with Clay. My last question for you is just when does your life get turned into? musical that's what i want to know <laughs> oh gosh you know i think there that's kind of you to say that but uh i i think not in my lifetime how about that that's not in your lifetime that'll be the answer to the question i have there are too many stories that i want to tell yeah and uh i i if i if i have if i end up closing my eyes and having lived a life that was inspiring then maybe maybe one day somebody will do something with it but yeah. not in my lifetime let, let let's tell other people's stories yeah but it's kind of you to suggest otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited to see the Brian Epstein graphic novel come to life on the, on the screen. Thank you for, for saying that I will, uh, I will be a a good producer and promoter and, and say, you know, we have a a lot of exciting things coming around the corner and probably some big news on the fifth beetle. So if anyone's listening and, and wants to, keep tabs on me. You can find me at, um, find our projects at tawariant.com. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at, at Vivek J. Tawari. I'm also on Facebook. And, um, so y- you know, that we, we, it's a very exciting time for me because I raised a little bit of money last year. I hired new staff. So mm-hmm. I've expanded, uh, my bandwidth really. And we have a ton of new projects we're going to be announcing. And, um, and, uh, with any luck, as I said, I'll have some, Fifth Beetle, we'll have some big Fifth Beetle news coming soon. So sweet. So yeah, can't quite talk about it just yet, right. but coming soon. Thank you so much for doing this, and I'm going to go listen to some Bad Brains right now. For sure. <laughs> right That's on. Happening. They cool. they were, uh, yeah. I mean, what what an amazing band they were. You know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, but like part of their what they just they they said that they were 
frustrated jazz musicians and they realized right. they could never be as amazing as they wanted to be on jazz. So they just decided to play their jazz as fast as they could. Right. And that's yeah. how they developed their sound. And it's like, you can hear it, you know? So yeah. again, to me, it's like, you know, it's not such a stretch, right. That I have both, uh, both, um, you know, the Sex Pistols and, and Miles Davis in my right. five, right? Yeah. <laughs> the bad, bad brains are sort of right there in between, yeah, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> well, thank you so much and have a great night. Thank you. You as well. Yeah. Go go enjoy your bad brains. Absolutely. <laughs> Lots of love, brother. See ya. Thanks. I'll give you another hour then. Gotta run. Gotta... That was Vivek to worry acclaimed producer, writer, father, and a Bad Brains fan. Yeah, I can honestly say that not much I've experienced in life, not swimming with manatees or biking up mountains in Switzerland and Italy, visiting St. Peter's in Rome, or even pitching a shutout in my softball league recently, has felt as spiritual as listening to Sailing On by Bad Brains, but um, Heart of Grace by Doug Vincent with music by Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops and guidance from Vivek Tiwari is supposed to be pretty moving, maybe even spiritual. So maybe we should all check that out uh, at the uh, Roots Music Project um, in Boulder and listen to Bad Brains on the way to the show. I don't know. Uh, Thanks for listening to My Last Stash. And um, also, if you're around Denver, Saturday, April 1st, um, I am doing the first ever live recording of, of an episode of My Last Stash. This is going to happen at number 38 in Denver with my guest, Fox Feather, who will be performing and being interviewed by a, probably a very nervous me. I'll have a, I'll have a drink before him. It'll be all right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to my last stash, and we'll see you next Monday, as usual. Without you,